Amen. The end time church part two. Okay. Uh, that's a quick recap. Last week we said that we were looking big picture at the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3. The details of this were done, I think, some 10 years ago where we went through each of the churches. Uh, and the intent of this uh, is to mention a few things. That these churches existed in history <clears throat> during the time of the Apostle John in the seven specific locations. There is a specific message to the specific church in the specific city, nation, and the region. Big picture, we're looking at two perspectives. On the one perspective is that the church worldwide will reflect all aspects of the seven churches at any one point in time in the different local churches. So it's always reflected in the local churches, in the local assemblies, in the local gathering of believers, and reflected in individual believers. All right? Although the message is to the church uh, in the particular place. The second perspective which we looked at is that the seven churches spans in time from the beginning of the early church about 2,000 years ago and it will end at the coming imminent rapture which we are looking forward to. And then we have looked at all the various dates. Uh, there are apparently quite a number of articles on this if you can Google uh, the time period <clears throat> of the seven churches. And the last church is the Laodicean church. And after the Laodicean church, after the rapture, the world will then embrace the great religious prostitute we call Mystery Babylon, mentioned in Revelation 17. This will be a very political religion. Is that such a word? All right, Politics and religion and what have you, saying everything that's politically right and so forth. Having a form of godliness, but there is no power. No power of the Holy Spirit. So this tells us that the Laodicean church, if it look at this perspective, reflects the end-time church today. And there are quite a lot of scriptures uh, that I've given to you. Uh, we are, in general, a part of this Laodicean church. There is a remnant that is hot for God. But the vast majority, as we look at this, very evident in North America, very evident in Europe, uh, where the people are ruling. Laodicea means people ruling or justice of the people. Is the people who are running the church and Jesus is outside the church. Which is why the scripture meditation we just read, he is knocking at the door of the church. He is knocking and when will the knock stop? It will stop at the rapture. Alright? So what's happening now is judgment, 1 Peter 4, 17, begins in the house of the Lord. Consequences of what we saw is happening in individual lives so-called Christian marriages, because when you look at the church as a whole, in the Bana research, in the research in focus on the family and what have you, there is very little difference on the superficial surface. Marriages of Christians and non-Christians, divorces, morality, immorality, stealing money, what, what have you. The behaviours of Christian and non-Christian appear to be not significant if you look at statistics. And therefore, the Lord is always looking at the individual believer and look it at the local assembly. He's going to hold elders and pastors accountable as to how we shepherd the flock. Elders and pastors and church leaders and cell leaders are responsible as to what we teach, what we communicate, and how we uh, look after each other. So 1 Peter 4.17 reminds us, judgment begins in the house of the Lord, and it is now. If we don't settle it on this side of heaven before we die or before the rapture, it will be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. And then soon it will be over 
all the people, and this phrase, those who dwell on the face of the earth, those who dwell on the earth, this phrase is repeated a few times in Revelations, where the judgment of God, the wrath of God will be unleashed. So there are three repeated, continual exhortations to all the seven churches. <clears throat> the first one is, let him who has ears, there's a message to the church, but hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Many churches, many congregations, many cell groups, many assemblies of believers, but the one message. Secondly, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. That means the Holy Spirit is convicting. John 16 verse 8, the Holy Spirit is in the world, moving in the lives of in believers, born-again believers, working in the lives of non-Christians, people we are praying for, convicting them to sin, to righteousness, to judgment. We know that in John 16, 8. Therefore, only word-based believers, word-based churches, and spirit-filled believers and spirit-filled churches can hear what the Spirit is saying. We all are temples of the Holy Spirit. We know that. So are every born-again, blood-washed uh, believer. But are we listening to what the Spirit is saying? So for many believers, what has happened is they have grieved the Holy Spirit by their lifestyle. They have quenched Him and oust him out of their lives. And therefore, they cannot hear. And thirdly, to him who overcomes, speak to every single individual believer in the present tense and every local church. What will be the stage again? Luke 18.8, Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes at the rapture, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth to the church in general? Therefore, Jude chapter 1, verse 3 reminds us we must contend for our faith because our faith is that precious gold which we've been asked to buy from God. Our faith, faith is the substance of things we hope for. On the way here, I was just told a news by mothership or whatever, there is a new variant of COVID. <laughs> it's called, you got, you got Delta, you got Omicron. It's called Delta Cron. <laughs> And apparently, a, a, quite a number of people have been infected in UK, France, and this is not a joke, uh, UK, France, and uh, in the Netherlands. All right? And this will go on because the Lord has already said in the end time, pestilences will increase. And 2 Timothy 4 7 is the goal. We want to be like the Apostle Paul. Finish the race, fight the good fight of faith, keep the faith, don't lose our faith. All right? And therefore, there is revival today. The implication is that there is revival for you, for me, in this local church. For so long as we heed all these exhortations, will there be a global revival? Not yet. It will come after the rapture. It will come at the ministry of the 144,000 evangelists. There will be blood-washed, spirit-filled going to the entire world. And the Bible records a great multitude, a great multitude will be saved. The gospel will be ringing forth, but it will be after the rapture and up to the first half of the seven years of tribulation followed by the two witnesses, probably Moses and Elijah, with signs and wonders and miracles, and then with the angels, with the everlasting gospel. And even then, many will not repent. Many, those who dwell on the earth. And then culminating then after the seven years tribulation in the second coming. The rapture, Jesus comes for the church. We meet Him in the air. His feet doesn't land on the earth. And the second coming, He comes back with the church, His feet, and together with us, lands on the Mount of Olives. A few scriptures again to substantiate this. Matthew 24, 12. Lawlessness is increasing. 
1 Timothy 4 talks about the latter days, the end times. Many will depart from the faith and they will have itching ears listening to conspiracy theories, listening to this thing on your YouTube, this thing on your Instagram, this thing on your TikTok, and so on and so forth. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 4, itching ears, searching all the time. I was marveling, just talking to somebody today, and some of the young people, just marvel how they can Google something so fast. Within a second, they found the answer. 2 Timothy 3 wants us in the latter days. Today, the latter days, perilous times will come. And many will have a form of godliness, but no power, no Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-3 wants us about increasing lies and deception. All right? We've talked enough about all that. And therefore, the Lord gave us four counsel, which we covered uh, in fair detail last week at the last message. I, the reason I put it as four councils rather than lumping it as three councils combined with a fourth one to summarize it, no, they are all different. The word by suggests a cost of discipleship on our part. It is not automatic. Buying gold refined in the fire is different from hearing and opening our hearts to the Lord to come into our hearts and lives. The, the Bible doesn't waste words. The Lord doesn't waste words. Every one of His exhortation is precise, accurate, putting His finger on one area of our lives. So, we're going to talk about BBDC today. <clears throat> as a local church, as a local assembly of believers, and also as individual believers, how do we build and become a vibrant end-time church? And this is the roadmap. I want to talk about our church that is purpose-driven, rather than personality-driven. You don't see uh, personalities being promoted, but you hear the church promoted. We're going to talk about increasing bench strength and the seven pillars. Firstly, purpose-driven instead of personality-driven. The Corinthian church <clears throat> is very personality-driven. 1 Corinthians 3. They are contending, they are still carnal forces. There is envy, there is strife, there is divisions among you. And you are kind of behaving like mere men. That means this is a non-Christian, mere men, natural men. One says, I'm for Paul. One says, I'm for Apollos. One says, I'm for Elder Richard. One says, I'm for Pastor Ricardo. One says, I'm for Elder Archibald. Whatever. When we start making sides, we fail to submit to the Lord, the Master, and the King of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. Not me. Not any of the elders or the pastors. He is the head. And this is something that is very important. It has to be purpose-driven. Where we are reminded by Paul when he talks about the beauty and the glorious uh, wonder of the church, that we have to make every effort, Ephesians 4, 3 to 6, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, through the bond of peace. And a reminder, there is only one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And the purpose of the church is that we, He has given us the fivefold gifts to, verse 12, Ephesians 4, to equip the people for the works of service. There was one senior pastor of a local church, he asked for permission to join our pastoral meeting about five weeks ago, six weeks ago, and just this, this week, about two days ago, <clears throat> he had lunch with me to follow up, and he's got a whole series of questions. And I was just sharing with him the, the ethos, the DNA, the culture of this church. All right? 
And, 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 and one of the things is wonder, wow, you can mobilize 85 to 95% of the church. I say, yeah, this is one of the strength as a brethren church, the priesthood of all believers. Everyone a functioning member. Just think of your physical body. If one part of the body is not working, we are in trouble. If your kidney is not working, or your liver is not working, or your hand is not working, then we are handicapped to the degree of that organ <clears throat> and the part of the body that is not working. Therefore, every part must work so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's the responsibility of every leader, a cell leader, an associate cell leader, to build up the body of Christ. Now, you can't build up everybody, so we are given our portions. Verse 13, what is the goal? What is the purpose? Until we reach unity in the faith. We all have a measure of faith, a fraction of faith, until we grow collectively in faith. Why faith? Because faith is the goal that we buy from God. One of the things I ask of the Lord in the gifts of the manifestation of the Spirit, of the nine, which one will I choose? I choose the gift of faith. Faith. Solid faith in a mighty, powerful God. When you have faith, you have almost everything. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What does God respond to? Faith. Those who have faith in Him in the midst of problems and trials. I've talked about COVID. I've talked about uh, having faith convictions in this church. Over the years, having faith convictions that God is your protector. God is your provider. And when you seek Him earnestly to intervene in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, He will come. When you stand upon His Word, until we come to the unity of the faith, until we come to the knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus is the personification of God. He has revealed the Father. It behooves us to know the finished works of Christ on the cross. I submit to you, there are many Christians, pastors and leaders, they don't fully appreciate and understand all that Jesus has done for us. And I, I was telling this pastor whom, who, whom I've been asking the question, I said, listen to their prayers. I cited a few examples before. One prayer is we pray, Lord, would you come? Lord, we're praying and begging for the presence of God. In fact, just yesterday, I saw somebody, a pastor, forwarding a YouTube song and almost begging for the presence of God. When the Lord tells us, when you gather in my name, I am in your midst. When the Lord tells him that my body is a temple, a dwelling place, a habitation of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to beg for His presence, I need to connect with the Holy Spirit. All of us, we need to connect the Holy Spirit who is already here. Don't grieve Him, don't quench Him to the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature so that we are no longer, verse 14, infants tossed to and fro. I know believers who are following me, this article, this YouTube, listen to this message, I say, enough, <laughs> all right? Maybe for you, you keep on learning, all right? Take the meat, throw away the bones. And my question to this guy, do you know what are the bones? Pay attention to the meat. Make the main thing the main thing. Don't start being tossed to and fro by every one of these things. The second thing that we want to do to build a strong church is to build bench strength. Now, bench strength is a term we borrow from sports. In soccer, all right, there are 11 players on the field and there are probably another 10 players who are reserves on the bench. Every one of the 10 players are ready, able, fit. Anytime there's a player that's injured on the field, he can replace him. He's on the reserves. 
So the more you have on the bench strength, anytime, and this is the philosophy of this church, if I fail to show up today, Pastor Sidney will probably take the pulpit. If he's not around, Pastor Kogan will take the pulpit. If Joel Cole cannot lead in worship, we recall Pastor Jesse to lead in worship. Everything, we have a number two, number three, number four. Nothing bottlenecks by a person or a structure. The show, so to speak, inverted quotes, goes on. If the recorder, the guy holding the camera, he can't make it, all right, he's not well, we find somebody else. The whole church, everybody putting our hands and our feet together. So increasing bench strength from the elders and the pastors to have active functioning body life members in terms of both numbers and quality. Now quality is the main thing, quality control. That's why we need to do all the leadership development, all the equipping and training as effective priests and kings. And this is throughout the Bible. Moses mentored Joshua. By the time Moses was ready to go, Joshua was ready to run. By the time Elijah went, Elisha was ready to run with horses. By the time Mordecai uh, was hanging around, he was coaching Esther how to relate to the king. Jesus had the twelve, the three Paul had Timothy, faithful men and others. This is the philosophy of discipleship in BBTC. Everyone functioning. Can everybody do? Can somebody do everything? Can I do everything? Absolutely no. It's, this is discipleship at its core, life impacting lives. There are people in your life that you can impact because you have a relationship with them. They are close to you. They cross your path on a regular basis. So increasing bench strength. <clears throat> CG stands for cell groups. Let's say, for example, there are seven cell groups. All right. MR stands for mentoring relationships. MG stands for a mentoring group. For the last, this church is 30 over years. All right. I've been have, having various mentoring groups in this church. And some of them were with my group in the 80s, since the 80s. We made a group of men. We meet for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. After a while, go. There are formal mentoring groups and informal mentoring groups. I recall the mother's group, the parents' group. And thank God it has gone on to multiply. And I want to encourage all of you, be part and parcel of a mentoring relationship, which is one-to-one or mentoring group. To this day, the elders meet as a mentoring group. And then CGM stands for a cell member, ACGL stands for associate cell leader, SPT, our spiritual parent. This morning, there was a spiritual parent class. A CGL is a cell leader, all right? A CS is a cell supervisor overseeing a cluster of cells. And the equivalent is a ministry leader. If you are a ministry leader in charge of uh, worship or audio or visual, you are equivalent to almost that because you're overseeing a group of people. And a cell supervisor is under a CEO, a cell overseer, who oversees a tribe. All right? So early on, our ministry leaders, these are ministry heads, the Hawkins service, the Mandarin worship, the Filipino congregation, uh, the GLOW, God's Love Overcast, where we look after uh, special uh, children and youths. A CP is a cell pastor. The CP in purple comes on staff. He oversees a division, a division comprising two to three tribes. And then he reports to, to somebody in the SPO. SPO stands for Senior Pastor's Office, who, which oversees a sector. So right now, as of today, there are four members in the Senior Pastor's Office. There's Pastor Singley, there's Pastor Kokwan, there's Pastor Edric, and Pastor Hua Ken. All right? Four senior of the cell pastors that sit in the Senior Pastor's Office, and then we report to the Council of Elders. And throughout, what do we do? 
B&B, not bed and breakfast. Bonding and building. Bonding together. Every Monday, almost every Monday, we go out for a meal. We bond and it's during during the formal time, the informal time, questions are asked, issues in the church. We always talk about you. We always talk about leaders. We always talk about people. And that's the difference between talking about people from the angle of shepherding and pastoring, differentiating that from gossip. Gossip ends in itself and it spreads and is whatever it is. But when we talk about shepherding, we're always talking to people, how can we strengthen this cluster? How do we strengthen this cell group? How can we go on this? And do we know everything? No. A lot depends on the interlocking relationships throughout the church. Increasing band strength. In the earlier years, about 22 years ago, it was SP-led because I was the only elder that came on board full-time with just a handful of four or five elders and then there were a a fair number of staff, a handful of staff. It was SP-led. And since in the last few years, it has become SPO-led with the cell pastors, the CPs and the staff. And together, we bring greater competencies and skill sets. Greater competency and skill sets to run the church. And we have positioned and restructured the church so that we can always grow. This is the starfish model instead of the spider model. You know, a starfish, when you cut off one part of a starfish, all right, throw it back into the sea, it will grow again. The starfish is analogous to the house church in China. Whereas a spider model, you chop off the head, it dies. We don't want to be a spider. Because our ultimate head is God, Christ Jesus in spirit. We want to be like the starfish model. And this is what is happening in the church. Every engine firing, so to speak. And then we say that nothing bottlenecks with a person or a structure. The show must go on. We want to adopt an Abraham, Isaac, Jacob model of leadership. And this is what Pastor Kokwan has been doing, for example, in the young adults. Getting the much older adults in their 40s and 50s to come alongside those in their 20s and 30s. Multi-generational. At least two to three, if possible, four generations of people. What glues them all together? Relationships relationships, relationships. And then we all share common core values. And like two circles overlapping, or many circles overlapping, and the greater the overlap is the glue that bonds us together. And everybody serving in their calling, their gifting, and their portion. No one person can do everything. <clears throat> and therefore, with this as a backdrop, uh, we need to know that succession is very important. And this is succession, not just uh, the worship leader or the drama, or somebody to succeed the person. This is succession at all levels, vertically and across the entire church. And obviously, I'm talking about my succession. All right, my succession. We must avoid the mistake, and I must avoid, and the church must avoid the mistake of King David. If you read 1 Kings chapter 1, he has not named his successor. And what has happened? He was lying on his bed, feeling very cold until they had to bring another young virgin to keep him warm. And what happened? His fourth son, Adonijah, began to put himself as king and led a rebellion. Nathan the prophet quickly went to tell Bathsheba, do you know that Adonijah is rebelling? And here is David incapacitated, unable, 
to move physically, he's mentally and so forth. Gabra, panic. There is a rebellion. My fourth son, Adonijah. And then Nathan came in to collaborate with Bathsheba. And finally, David came to his senses. Let's quickly anoint Solomon as the next king, as my successor. We don't want to reach a stage where I am 85 years old, <laughs> feeling very cold, <laughs> walking with a limb, all right, stuttering and stammering. No. I try to be as fit and strong and healthy as possible while I, my mind is absolutely clear, while I'm walking very deeply with God. This is the time to see succession. So we must avoid the mistake of King David. I cannot be SP senior pastor forever. And this is the best time to ensure succession takes place. This is the first notice, all right? So at some point, <laughs> at some point, my role will change. I will become Pastor Mac. <laughs> Mac stands for I'll be a mentor, advisor, and coach, MAC, all right? And I'll still be around. Whilst the incumbent who will be named at some point of time, all right, together with the rest of the SPO and the cell pastors and all the entire leadership will move together. Do you know, in case you do not know, elders who step down, they continue to be involved and plugged in the church. They join the EMG. EMG stands for Elders Mentoring Group. So as of today, we have two very active elders or ex-elders. We call them Brother Jeffrey Go and Brother Noah Bibun. They are part and parcel of the Elders Mentoring Group. And this was started when I went full-time. Because one of the things I learned in the marketplace, better and, pardon the phrase, better an enemy known than an enemy unknown. In other words, engage every strong, influential leader who contributes positively. Engage. Because we don't always have 100% agreement. But to find the 80-90% agreement and then to negotiate on the 10-20%, how do we move together? All right? And of course, thank God, all our elders are mature all right? and we're working closely together. This is where iron sharpens iron. In the church, it is a continuity emphasis versus the secular model. Working in 22 years in the bank or you look at any private organization, when the new CEO comes in, the old guard their days are numbered. They're gone. The new CEO will bring in his own troops. He'll bring in his own people. All right? And then he wants to revamp everything because why? He got KPIs, key performance indexes. And if it's a public company, well, the pressure is there. Every quarter, results, results, results. But not in the church. There was one or two comments, oh, more of the same. Yes, the church will be more of the same, but we go deeper and higher. We do not follow the secular model of succession. Multi-generational leadership, I'm still in the body life of the church, so will all, all the ex-elders. I will still sit somewhere in front, all right? You'll still see me. I'll still be actively involved relatively in pulpit and in terms of whatever I see and that goes on, all right? I will not micromanage, but oh, we're going to change carpet. Okay, that one they all can do, all right? Or church computer or, or the screens, all right? Maybe one of these days we have the high de uh, digital density screen, all right? Instead of these three screens, all these other things can be easily decided by our people with the relevant competency. The seven pillars and anointed, this is what will undergird us until the rapture. These seven pillars, you've heard about it. 
We are an intentional disciple-making church of effective priests and kings. The end product of a disciple <coughs> in BPTC is to be an effective priest and king. We don't change this. Many times I've been asked, uh, Pastor, uh, what will be the theme for 2022? Same. <laughs> what was the theme 2021? Same. Why change it every year? Every year we become a more effective priest and king. The only thing we change are the pulpit messages. The pulpit messages, different themes for different months to undergird this overall mission of sharing Christ as we mature in Him. And these are the seven pillars which I'll go through one by one. We start off first with God. He is the priority. That's what you're here for. I want to ensure and guarantee you, so to speak, that with the leaders walking closely with God, where can you find the presence of God? In a gathering of His people. When I speak, I'm somewhere at the back, and I always enjoy the time of worship. So let's talk about it one by one. Anointed worship. The Lord is seeking true worshippers. We know John 4, 23, 24. He's seeking true worshippers to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in this message, this part, I'm just going through the essence of this seven. All right? A lot of this has been spoken about over the years. And one of the key elements about worship is that we must connect with God. I love it. Standing at the back and looking at the majority of you. I use the word majority because there may be one of two, two of you who may be distracted, worried about whether it's going to rain or not rain, or you've got something after this. But the majority of you are engaged, connected with God. Why? Because we can come to the house of the Lord. You come to church. And yet we miss the Lord of the house. I want to encourage you, don't miss connecting with God. Something happens to you when you connect with God. There are many things that we receive from the Lord, but there's one major thing the Lord receives from us, which is our thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Philippians 3.3 says we are the circumcision, we worship God in the Spirit. We worship God in the Spirit. So worshipping is more than just singing a few songs. It involves singing of songs. Worship is more than just singing a few prayers. It involves praying. But it is our spirit connecting with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings us into the very shelter of the Most High. Which is why we call them worship leaders. They do not lead us to the presence of God. They can never lead us into the presence of God. They facilitate worship. They look, and they look to the Lord during the week for the four, five, and five and a half songs. What shall we sing this week? And they look for the flow and the prayer to tread it and the spiritual songs. All they can do is facilitate. The keyboardist can only play. The drummer can only whack, all right? And, and the, he can only sing. And he can only suggest, let's close our eyes. He can only suggest, let's lift our hands. But worship occurs in your spirit and in my spirit. And therefore, if we have not connected with God in worship, Nothing has happened. All that has happened is you come into the beautiful sanctuary here, you sing a few songs, you hear a few things, and then you say, bye-bye. It's just in the natural, physical realm. Nothing happens in your spirit realm. You have wasted your time. You could have gone to another concert, you could have gone to Function CC, you could have gone to the Rotary Cup, you can do any of these physical, social things. This is what makes it different from every other social gathering. You're not attending a concert. You are worshipping God. And therefore, what do we learn over the years? We have to learn to keep on worshipping God. And this is something I enjoy. 
When I'm not speaking, I'll be sitting in front, I will attend all three services. At one stage, it was all four services. The message may be the same, all right? Sometimes by the second service, to, on Sunday morning, I would have switched off and do my Bible reading, catch up on my Bible reading. But in terms of the worship, every one of the worship experience is different. Same songs, four and a half, five songs, but the worship experience is different. What do I try to do most of the time? Close my eyes. What do I try to do most of the time? Just connect with God. Spirit to spirit, deep to deep. The created, connecting with the creator. The limited one with boundaries, connected with the limitless one without boundaries. And above all, and the Lord reminds me, don't just talk about all that. Above all, I can come as a son of God, as a child of God, connecting with my heavenly father, to Jesus, my elder brother, the apostle and high priest of my confession, and with the spirit of the living God. Wow! You know how powerful that is? That boosts our faith. And every time you worship, something happens to you. Something happens to your spirit man. Those of you watching online, don't be casual about worship. That's why we use this phrase, build your altar of thanksgiving, praise, and worship. The word anointed means spirit-led, spirit-enabled. The anointed word, that's what to remind all of us, the purpose of the anointed word. The purpose of this pulpit, the purpose of the Word of God in our cell groups must bring these three things. Number one, edification. It must build our faith in God. Back to this word faith, go refine in the fire. Number two, it must exhort us. It must strengthen our relationship with God, with one another. And thirdly, it must bring comfort and encouragement in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 tells us that. Over the years, this is 30 over years in BBDC, I got various groups of people coming. Why can't we do more text expository sermons? Why can't we go deeper into this and the other? There are other platforms for these other objectives. I'll just take it, talking to this other pastor. You want to really go deep into the Word? All right. For example, the, the Revelation 3 message to the church in Laodicea. Can you do an, a text expository on it by the text itself? You can't. You need to do a thematic expository where you get the Word of God to compare with the Word of God and exegete from there. This is very important. We aim to teach the whole counsel of God from the pulpit and in our cell groups. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reminds us the Word of God is for doctrine, right teaching. Doctrine is very important. What we believe results in how we live. What we believe in results in how we pray. If we believe incorrectly, or we pray incorrectly. And how we pray is very important. And this pastor whom uh, I'm talking about, he has made notes from my, this session with me. And he repeated back, he says, excellence is in the details. I mentioned to him, I listen to the press. For example, the worship team will be gathering at the back. The audio team will be gathering together with the visual team. They will pray together. The worship team, the singers, the musicians, we get the worship service uh, coordinator will get everyone, almost everyone to pray. And I listen to their prayers. Sometimes they'll see me leaning forward. I don't, I don't know whether they are there. All right? I'll be leaning forward, listening to their prayers. You can pray one time, I can be impressed. I want to listen to their prayers over the weeks and the months and the years. 
It tells me where you are spiritually. I've, one of my regular prayers, I will ask the Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. It talks about relationship, husband and wives, parents and children, friend and friend, band of brothers, band of sisters. How we pray, how we communicate with each other is very important. Doctrine, truths and principles of life. Rebuke. Oh, many times I've been told, Pastor, you're very serious. Pastor, you are the only one who scold us. No other speaker will scold us. In fact, I'm just finishing this batch with, with Tung Ling, and this guy, he's from another church. I don't know whether he's here. All right? You know, you're the only one who will dare tell it as it is. You, you mean, right? You're the only one who scold us, so to speak, and we love it. He said, we love it. All right? Um, that's rebuke, because that's what the Bible says. Correction of ungodly beliefs and wrong patterns of thinking, we need to correct. If you are a parent and your children are not going the right way, would you correct your children? You will. That's it. I see my son correcting his son. No, you cannot be rude. You're the, what is the magic word? Please. What is the other magic word? Thank you. All right? You don't just rush here and misbehave here and there. There are, there are areas in our life because of our fallenness, we need to be rebuked and corrected. And fourthly, it is to train us in righteousness, to grow deeper with God. Now, there's no speaker that's exactly the same. And which is why we thank God we have built bench strength, we have a good 10-ish speakers any point, point of time in BBDC for the pulpit. And what more in the cell groups? The message is in the messenger. Every speaker can only share with you, preach to you, speak to you what is already in their lives because they can only give of what they have. Psalms 160 reminds us the entirety of the word is true. Acts 20, 27, the full counsel of God. The third pillar, anointed altar. Whenever God speaks to us, we must respond to Him. When we keep on responding to the word of God, we will be changed. We will be changed. Our faith level will grow. Romans 1, 17. We will grow from one level of faith to another level of faith. We go from strength to strength. Psalms 84. We'll be changed from one level of glory to another level of glory as sons and daughters of God. And we'll grow from one level of grace to another measure of grace, John chapter 1. So Hebrews 3, various verses 7 and 8, 15, Hebrews 4, 7, reminds us again, when you hear His voice, and remember this, don't get stumbled and don't be cynical because of whoever the speaker is, what he wears, how he looks like, his English may not be so good, all right? Don't let that get in the way of you hearing God through the messenger. Hearing God through the, so to speak, donkey. Remember, I used the word donkey because it was the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem. It's the donkey that is the messenger that spoke to the prophet Balaam. And if God can use a donkey to speak to the prophet Balaam, He can use any donkey. We must therefore posture our hearts to hear Him. Proverbs 4 reminds us, pay attention. How do we buy eyes off and open the doors of our hearts? We must pay attention, our will. Listen, incline our ears, our hearing. Do not let them depart from your eyes, our focus. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Let our heart be tender to the Lord. Keep our heart from, with all diligence. Buy eyes off and open the doors of your heart. That's what we try to do in creating these platforms through the anointed altar. If I can put it in diagrammatic form, what we preached last week and what we try to do in the church, there is the promise of God. But this is your present situation. 
The promise of God has not been fulfilled. Your prayer is still not answered. And therefore, you are a struggling believer. And as a struggling believer, the gap between the promise of God and where you are is what we call your trial of faith. Alright? So last week, what did we learn? We must buy gold refined in the fire, which is our precious faith. We must buy eyes up so that we can see our situation. I know of various people. Over the last two years, COVID has set them back financially. They got money that is stuck somewhere because of the system somewhere in Asia, somewhere in Europe. It is stuck. Externally, nothing has changed. But what has changed is themselves. And what do they need to do? How to buy eyes soft? How to buy gold refined in the fire? Keep on drawing near to God, fully assured in faith. Keep on standing upon the promises of God. One of the promises of God, I keep on standing, is Romans 8 to 8. Lord, you said you will always work all things for good because you love me and you have a purpose and destiny for me. Keep on holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Our hope is in Jesus. Don't waver. Keep on holding on. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And as we gather with fellow believers, what will happen? We will become an overcomer believer. We move from a struggling believer to an overcomer believer when we hit the four exhortations which we try to do through the seven pillars in our church. Pillar number four, anointed leaders. Anointed leaders in the church. Now bear in mind, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. So in BBDC, we do not vote for the pastors. We do not vote for whoever become elders. We follow the Bible. The Bible says elders are appointed by elders. So every elder that you see, he is appointed. Everybody who becomes a pastor, they are appointed after the due process of meeting them, knowing them, they must fulfill F-A-S-T, faithful, they must be available. They must be submissive and teachable. There are people who have been faithful, but they're not available. They're very busy traveling all over the world because of their work. Or they're faithful and available, but they're not submissive. Always challenging, always cynical, skeptical. Nope, you don't feel it. We've got people like that. Or they're faithful, available, submissive, but they're not teachable. Stubborn. They bring their baggage from wherever they come from and keep on insisting on this and the other. Thank you, but no thank you. We try, we will not have a perfect system to have good leaders. Titus says we appoint elders. Ephesians 4 says we appoint all the various categories of the fivefold functions. Their headship gifts, functions to fulfill the equipping of the saints. From appointed, anointed leaders, we have anointed body life. A quick reminder, Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, the body life must be connected to the head. Remember Revelation 3.20? We must be connected to the head. Is that like a chicken running wild? You chop off the head, the chicken can still be running for a while, but after a while, it will collapse. We must be connected to the head. Christ is the head. We are the body life. We are, when we are connected to the head, we receive the life of God. Every part of our body, from the head, is connected to the body through the neck and through every joint, the shoulder, the elbow, the wrist, the hip, the knee, the ankle. We are all connected through every joint and ligament. And that's where the life of God flows, one to the other. We are members of one another, all right? We are told that in Romans 12. And what do we need to do? We must therefore connect with one another, accept one another, love one another, serve one another, engage one another, sharpen one another. And in this process, what do we do? We buy white garments. 
When we engage one another, we tell the brother, hey brother, brother, uh, can you stop sending this stuff in the cell group chat? Maybe you have some friends, you can send it to those or two or, two or three of them who is in the cell group, they are a little more mature, they won't be easily stumbled. But we have some younger members, younger Christians in the cell group. That's how we sharpen one another. That's how we engage one another. Or this guy, they used to be smoking, all right? He just came to know the Lord. And we don't have to gently tell him, all right? Uh, or this guy used to drink like nobody's business. Or this guy, they used to have swear words, M here, F there. We tell them, <laughs> you can do it in your own private closet, but try to exercise self-control. Uh, I'll give you a hit. Is anything help me? You see, you need to help me. How to help you? Give you a kick, all right? So I need to table this, you're about to, ah, give me a kick, all right? Uh, that's how we engage one another. We engage and connect. And that's how we buy white garments. What was permissible is no longer permissible. What is permissible for non-Christians, not permissible for you. All that we've learned last week, white garments. And this is where we develop our DNA, our core values. And that's what we try to do in the processes of our discipleship. All right, you've seen this uh, diagram again and again. This morning, there was a spiritual parenting class. Last week, I think there was a, a new believers class or growing believers class. We start here for seekers and new believers. Uh, we settle here for growing believers. We serve here for maturing believers. And you shepherd here for potential leaders. You need to know where you are. Not so sure, come next Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock for the Newcomers Fellowship. All right. There you can ask any question you want about the church, about Christian life, and so forth. All right. Then you need to be plugged in a cell group. If you're new in this church, you need to be plugged in. P-L-U-G-G-E-D. Belong to a small group where you can grow. All right. 98% all okay, all settled. You may be the 1 or 2% that needs to find a group that you can grow. If you're no longer growing in a cell group, talk to your cell leader, talk to your cell supervisor, all the way up, change. All right. So that you can grow spiritually. Pillar number six, anointed ministries. We are all saved by the mercy and grace of God, not by good works. We are all saved by the mercy and grace of God. But however, we are saved to do good works. After we are saved, God wants us to do good works. Ephesians 2.10, Hebrews 10.24, stir one another to love and to good works. What are good works? Good works are always about value-adding to the lives of other people. Looking after the children in the student care, helping the migrant workers, making the shoebox, donating money to help the bursary for the school-going kids. We have a study award that helps our uh, 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 youth, young adults who are going to polytechnic or going to a university. All right? uh, every year we give the study awards and we try to increase that pool. Uh, recently, there was a family who contacted me. The son wants to go to a private uni here and he needs about thirty to 40000 And I say, well, we don't have that category at this stage, all right? We have gifts for health. We've got gifts for the poor and needy. We've got study awards. I say, perhaps you may want to, but they're quite plugged in, talk to a few members that is in your class and so forth and make sure your leaders know. And maybe amongst 10 people you can find, Alright, if each person can contribute on average of about 2,000 or 3,000, you can find your 30,000. We have these things happening all the time. I myself have sponsored people the last 25, 35 years who have since graduated who are now in their 40s. Some are in their early 40s, some in their late 40s. And this is what we do in the body life. Good works, value adding to somebody's life. 
And as we grow and mature in the Lord, we must be zealous for good works. How can I be a blessing to somebody else? How can I value add and value multiply somebody else's faith? Finally, the pillar number seven, anointed works of faith. The navigators love this verse, Mark 3, 14, 15. The Lord has called us to do four things. Number one, A, is to be with the Lord. To be with the Lord is everything about our spiritual life and growth. Everything about deepening our relationship with God. Everything about growing in our faith. But there are three other things the Lord asks us to do, which are works of faith. Share the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. These three things require works of faith. So share the gospel. We have learned from this pulpit, the Lord has given us two keys to reach out to the lost. The first key is, the first half of the coin is keep on building bridges in the relationship. Eat and drink with them, fellowship with them. I shared that about my father. He's turning 98 next month. When he was 84, about 14 years ago, he came to know the Lord. But it was after 40 over years. All right? So keep the relationship with him. Two days, I just saw him just two days ago. Keep the relationship with him. All right? And secondly, what do I do? Strategic prayer. Tear down the strongholds which comprise arguments and the demonic spirit guide. The strongholds, the lies and the deception that blocks him from knowing the Lord. In my father's case, there were three very obvious ones. Number one, he thought that all religions are the same. So you pray as a priest, you tear down as a king, that God will reveal to him not all religions are the same. Number two, he thought that money will solve every problem. Ask God to speak to his heart that money cannot solve every problem. Money cannot buy relationships. Money co- cannot bring healing. All right? Keep on praying and keep on tearing down that stronghold so that he's slowly fracturing, dismantling, so that the light of the gospel can shine upon him. And thirdly, he thought that Christianity is a Western religion. He used to work for the New Zealanders, the Australians and the British. All right? he's a, he was working in, in the armed forces then in the 50s and 60s and early 70s. And slowly, when one and by one of these strongholds are torn down, he came to know the Lord about 14 years ago. Then we, how do we do works of faith? We must always depend on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all these things. We know and we are very familiar. To share the gospel, all right, and to do these works of faith. And why? What is the purpose? The purpose is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5. My speech, the pulpit, the speaker... It, that, that your faith doesn't just rest on the wisdom of man. I may have a lot of knowledge of Scripture, but if your faith rests on, wow, I know the Bible so I can talk about the time of the end, can talk about the mysteries of God, if it does nothing to your faith, waste time. He says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. In other words, when you come to this church, the bottom line is you must experience God. It must be a personal experience. It must be a personal encounter. Then it is real. We talk about the seven pillars. And every one of these that we do, as we review that we have to be purpose-driven and not personality-driven, building the bench strength and focusing on these seven pillars, depending on the Holy Spirit, always opening our hearts to the Lord. Jesus is our way-maker. Jesus is the miracle worker. Jesus is the promise keeper. But these promises, these names of God, means nothing if it's just a knowledge in our heads. So how do we open our hearts to the Lord? We open our hearts to the Lord 
where we connect our hearts with the heart of God. Where we acknowledge, Jesus, you're knocking on the door of my heart. And you recall a promise of God to you that He'll be your protector or He'll be your healer or He will come through for you in your particular situation. You're struggling with a relationship and you are stuck. You need wisdom. You need favour. And you want God to help you. That's when you open your heart to Him because He's knocking on the door of your heart. And that's how we connect with God personally, individually. And that's how we connect with God as a church in this worship service, in a cell group meeting, over a cup of teh tarik, over little conversations here and there, always in the context as in the assembly of the people of God. There's the Word of God that goes forth. But the Word of God always says, to him who hears, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. Would you posture your ear to hear the Spirit? And after you've heard Him, would you open the doors of your heart? Would you posture to buy that gold refined in the fire? You're struggling and struggling and struggling as a believer over this issue. Whatever that issue is, I don't know. Whether it's about your health or your marriage or your finances or people or work. Buy gold refined in the fire. Move from struggling to being an overcomer. And when the Lord comes through for you, keep on opening your heart, inviting Him in. And when He comes in, He will dine with you and you with Him. It's a sweet fellowship. You'll be hallelujah. And that's what this is all about. For those watching online and on-site, those who are here, we're going to worship the Lord now. And mouth these words. Every word, make it personal. Address it to the Lord Jesus as your way maker, as a miracle worker. You may have be in a situation that needs a miracle. And stand upon His word as your promise keeper. And just open your heart. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus.